and breeze from the future. It's life after the cover save. What are we going to talk about, Ed? The same thing we do every night. Every night. Oh, life after the cover save episode. Four, five, four? No, it's like 204, dude. 204? Yeah. Two, I, I don't even know if we're on 200 or 100 or what. <laughs> 204. <clears throat> oh, man, that's a, that's a six. I, I think it's 204. Well, it don't matter. Nah. Does it feel like two months since Josh has been here? Feels like longer than two feel, Yeah, it feels really long. Yeah. I don't know if it's because of the weather. Yeah. Everything's longer in the heat. You know what you're right. Like everything. Yeah. Your I balls mean, your balls hang longer for oh sure. Yeah, dude. I gotta like pinch and pull. Yeah. When I sit down on the toilet, don't want the p- puppies to hit the water. There's this I saw this video today, somebody posted on Facebook. Uh-huh. And it's this guy like walking around with these short shorts and he has a fake nut sack. And he'll like get stuck, so when people are walking by he's like, Oh, what's well, yeah, like so, Isn't that this just Johnny Knoxville? No, I don't think it, the one was Johnny. Or it Knight. could have been Spike Jones, the other guy that dresses up. Because oh, okay. there's two, Spike Jones and Johnny Knoxville wear those old people suits. No, no, he wasn't wearing an old person suit either. Oh, it was just... He's just, just wearing like a j- jogging outfit type with thing. With some big old bowls. And then like the last clip that they showed, because a lot of people are just like, they make funny faces. Like he pretend like he sat down on a park bench and, it, and he's tried to get up and his balls were stuck in between. And, and like, and then there was like a lady and a husband were sitting there, and like the man jumped up and like started moving away, and the lady like reached down to help him pull his balls out. <laughs> what a sweetheart! <laughs> yeah, nice. What old a lady. sweetheart, dude. Yeah, that's you know that gives me hope in the world. You yeah. know, I'm up from a nap, feeling a little discombobulated. Mm-hmm. You know, and the heat, and yeah. just you know, kind of, kind of got a stomachache, and I'm just like, why? What is happening? Yeah, why am I even? driving to Ed's house right now. It was hot. I'm sure it was. It was really hot. How's it feeling here? Great. I know. Can't beat this weather inside your house. Yeah, inside the house weather is pretty good. Anyways, in episode 204, we talk with the Gav Thorpe. I don't know how we got his contact information. I still don't get it. I think he emailed us a long time. No, maybe a long time ago he emailed us. I doubt that. But you know what? He talked to us again. Again. Yeah. I mean, I think we asked that he's never, we asked him questions that he's never been asked before. It's true. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He's just, he rolls with it. He just accepts it. Yeah. You know, he doesn't judge us Mm-mm. and the things that we do and say. Nope. But it was a good talk. Um, we, uh, I think by now, maybe they have the results of that David Gamel Award. Oh, yeah. That would be nice to know. Um, I'm not going to pause to look it up. No. Nah, Just because nah. I think we, in, the, in, the, in the interview, we, we say when it, when it is. Yeah. But, um, so, Edward. Yes, sir. What kind of games have you been playing? Uh, who, cl- me? Who, me? Yeah. <laughs> who, me? Yeah. Who, me? Yeah. Uh... 40k War- Warhammer 40k Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Have you been playing some Sigmar? 
Who, me? <laughs> we uh, definitely been playing 40K. We played a game. Yeah, for the second time. And I got smashed. Even worse than before. Yeah, it kind of... This one felt more like when we play Age of Sigmar. Yeah. Because you get smashed in Age of Sigmar, too. Well, you know what? I think I've learned a lot. So I know what to do more now with the Blood Angels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, you know, I uh, was on, you know, been talking on the phone with some uh, some powerful players telling me some tips. See, why do you got to do that? Why can't you just learn on your own? Because I don't have that kind of time, dude. (laughs) You can't. It's like, if there's anything (laughs) more than what you have, like, it's time. I don't have time to play that many games. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. I guess. You know? So. Well, I mean, if there's anything, and I mean anything, that you have a lot of, Blake. Time? It's time. Well, I don't have that much time. (laughs) Even even with all that much time, that's that's a lot of games. Okay. And I don't know if I can do that. Sometimes you got to make time, dude. You got. You do have to make you have time. To make time, brother. Just like you made that time, and you drove your car over here in the hundred four degree heat, dude. See, I'm too busy driving to play a game. Oh my god! <laughs> I could have played like a game in the car. I didn't get this way, but just waiting, dude. I had to go to the gym, dude. The demandments. Well, well yeah, the ten demandments, dude. The three. I think there's four demandments. Well, he added one. P- pills, dude. He added a demandment. From yeah. what I remember. Really? Yeah, we, me and some people Googled it okay. a while back. And I, thought, I thought there was three demandments. There right? are three demandments, dude. Eat but your yeah, vitamins, he, he say one. your prayers, and get, lost, get eight hours of sleep. That's all you need. I don't think it, the eight hours of sleep one's real. Well, that's all you need. <clears throat> but there are demandments. I mean, Noah's got his commandments. Noah didn't. No, it wasn't actually Noah. It was Moses. It was Moses. Yes. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Moses had his commandments, and Hulkamania has got its demandments. Yeah. Well, Hulkamania demands a lot from the the Hulkamaniacs. <laughs> yeah. And the Hulksters. This ain't, this ain't some just... See, the Ten Commandments were just a, a knockoff of Hammurabi's code. Is that okay? what it was? Yeah, of course. Hammurabi? Hammurabi's code. The Hammurabi? The Hammurabi. Wow. And, you know, but the demandments for Hulkamania, this is something entirely new. This is something that was created in and of itself in its own pocket of time and space, you know? Not like Hammurabi's code, the Ten Commandments, you know, they're all part of each other. Same people, the same culture. But the demandments, dude, those... Those were something wholly original in time and space, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's why they're just so. That's why they're. That's why they're so meaningful. Training was number one. Training, saying, saying your prayers, and then eating your vitamins. So you gotta say your prayers. Too. Say your prayers. Train. Yeah. Say your prayers and vitamins. Eat your vitamins. Yeah, but the four were train, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and believe in yourself. Okay, I like that one. I like that one. Yeah. That's a good amendum that Hulkster made. Yeah. Yeah, I believe I believe in myself. Yeah, well, dude, you got to believe in yourself, brother. You know when I was, you know when I was when I was plowing uh, Bubba the Love Sponge's wife, you know? Yeah. I believed in myself, yeah. dude. I was like, "Little Hogan, 
You can do it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you. Yeah. Um, Python power, dude. But yeah, you, we've been playing some video games. Oh, well, look, dude. I, we played some 40K, and we're not going to talk about it because we did a battle report, and one day it'll make its way to YouTube. It was a shellacking. Years from now, it'll make it. It was a shellacking, though. But number two, Sigmar, I've, I have completely built all... That whole box? That whole battle force that I got came with the giant. How big is that giant? He's pretty big. He's bigger than my hand. Like, if I was holding him, mm-hmm. like, gripping him like I gripped this water bottle. Like, like a penis? Like a water bottle. Mm-hmm. He's, his legs stick out and his head sticks out. Wow. He's pretty tall. You know, maybe about up to this wrapper here that the people listening at home can't see. Yeah, a visual like, gag on a podcast. From here to here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, we'll take a look at it when we're done. Yeah. And I started painting them. I airbrushed them. The skin colors were looking really dope. Ooh. Right? Did and then use, I was... Did you use ancient Chinese secrets? No, what's that? that? You don't know about the ancient Chinese secrets? Was that in Wayne's World? No, man. That's, uh, that's the, the Kenny Boucher. Oh, he has really? ancient Chinese airbrush secrets. Well, dog, let me tell you. I sprayed it up real nice. The uh-huh. skin was looking really good. And then I went to go take pictures of it, uh-huh. and I dropped it. And then, like, I was like, oh, and I picked it back up, and I was trying, and I'm like, well, let me see, because the lighting, the lighting, when those fluorescent lights, they don't show, like, the real colors. Like, mm. in my hand, he's got, like, a like a, like a a tan, like a light tan. Okay. But in the, in the camera's eye, it's, like, pasty white. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, like, no browns. What did you want? Which one did you want? I wanted him to look like he actually looks in my eye. Tan. Well, it's like the tan, so you see more of the, 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 the darkness and the lights. You can see everything. You know what I mean? So I, what are you going to do? How are you going to remedy that? Well, i got to get better light before I take a picture. Maybe a fat mat. I mean, a macro mat might help. Anyways, so I'm like, well, let me see how it looks on the back. And I turn over and I see these big scratch marks on its back. I was like, oh, jeez. So I don't know how I'm going to remedy that. Um, I'll just spray it over here. No, dude. Um... Paint them red. Make the scratches red. Oh, Like the She-Giant was just scratching his back, oh, putting them deeper. Oh, yeah. No, well, it's not like three. It's just like one gash. So yeah. maybe I can, like, make it look like it's raised. Or maybe if I get, like, liquid green stuff. Oh. And then, like, and then like make it like a scar. Like, raise it up and then hand prime it and hand paint it. Well, could you just paint over it? Probably. Airbrushing would be faster. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is, is the question, is the plastic getting damaged, or is it the paint? I don't know, because some of that pr- liquid primer that we had for the airbrush has been sitting there for a long time, and then the paints have been sitting there for a while. So I don't know if that has, like, they're not bonding as well as they should be, mm-hmm. you know? So I did that, and then I did a, did a few coats of white primer on the rest of the models. So everything's got its primer. Mm-hmm. The giant has a lot of paint on it, but I might have to, I might have to make some touch ups. And I started doing some yellow on some orcs. So I'm gonna paint them all yellow first. Where did this come from? It's from my my idea. Like I've done some yellow orcs. No, no, no. Where did the inspiration? Oh, online. Like I saw somewhere. I just paint an orc yellow and use washes to do. No, this no, thing. no, no. I'm saying what caused you? Because I mean, there was Titanfall two happening, and you're like, I'm working on models. Oh, I just, like, when I started working on the box, 
I put a timer on for Doug Neal because he's like, there's no time. How, let's see how long it takes you to do that. So my goal is to show Doug how fast I can do it. Oh, so this is a challenge. Not necessarily. Like, he didn't officially challenge me or anything. But Well, what was he, he saying? Like, he thought about buying the box, too. He's like, oh, really? oh, man, I almost bought that box. I'm like, well, how come you didn't? Because he has orcs, fantasy orcs. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, it take too long. And I was like, dude, you could do it really quick. My method. And he's like, yeah, we'll see about that. So you what are, so are you keeping track of the time spent on it? Not really. I just said all the models are complete. Or here, oh no, I, that, when I started building them, actually. Yeah. I was like, Doug Neal, start the clock. Okay. So uh, there's a post when I started. Yeah. So you can see like the beginning and end. So it's a it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of an inspiration, a little bit of a just something. Because yeah. we had Team Fortress 2, I mean, excuse me, Titanfall 2 on the line. People were playing. And were you like, playing? No, I wasn't. Okay, I wasn't so, around. So why would I even... I wasn't around. Why is it important to me? I was busy. I know. You should, I know, buddy. And, but you're like, no, I'm modeling. Later that I've night, said that modeling times. again. Yeah. I've just been like... Because my days are shorter... And I have I had some time to do this, so I get I get inspired, and then the actual process of sitting down and doing it, when that is coming closer, I'm like, oh, that sounds that doesn't sound fun at all. Yeah, sometimes when I'm painting, I'm just like, why did I why am I painting this right now? And I want to not paint. Well, I think, well, how do you overcome that, Ed? I don't know. Being challenged by Doug Neal, I guess. So it is a challenge. I guess so. Someone challenged you and you decided that Well like when that, I challenged that gave you the fire. When I when you're doing your, your secret project for me, that gave you inspiration to paint. Yeah. And then when I told you how much I didn't want to play that game, it probably shattered your dream. Oh yeah, I haven't worked on it since. Yeah. Well I told you to finish painting it. Well that had nothing to do with it. I wasn't gonna play it. Yeah, no, that, uh, that, yeah, all the thing, you know, it was like when it's like, uh, it was like an ice cream truck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was some sound to it. It was oh, pretty yeah. and there was goods in it. Hey, and and like, then, I love ice cream. I know. You love ice cream. I, I, I like ice cream. Yeah. I think you like it more than I oh, do. Oh, I love ice cream. And, yeah, and like I, that, that was the project. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be good. And I was working and excited. And then when I found out, like, you know, he didn't, you didn't I have any interest in the game, I yeah. was like, well, that ice cream truck has crashed. <laughs> yeah, like, that was into the, the crowd of children. That was the last, yeah. Like, the monies, the dollar bills are everywhere. Flying. Yeah, but they're covered in blood. Limbs strewn. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's terrible. You know, uh, what are those big pops? They're called the big sticks. Big sticks melting on the pavement. Oh, uh, yeah. And reminiscent of blood itself because they're mm. red. You yeah, know, you that, can't tell where the melted big stick ends and the blood begins. No, you know what I mean. It's like a Salvador Dali thing. Yeah, it's sad. Well, that was the last time I think I actually painted, and that was months ago. Yeah, but, but you th- know what? We had a hobby session. Too. We did have a hobby session. Well, that's the thing is like I'm like all right. Well, you know what? I I, I see like you know I got a bunch of this old these old models Death Company models. I should at least just, you know, airbrush them black. Yeah, that's a start. You know? And you can even, like, just dry brush them gray after that. Yeah. 
But then, I, then I sit down. I'm like, sit down, and I have the stuff, and I'm like, oh god, you know, I don't know. It's a but weird. But you were able to put together some Terminators. That's true. I think if we get an audience, they'll that will inspire you. I don't just, think just them being like, oh, I love you, Blake. You're the best. Oh man, Blake. Maybe I should just maybe I should just have a recording of people cheering me on, yeah. and that's like my painting background. Yeah, music. Just like oh, Blake. You You're so good. So You're so good. Blake, what's that in your eye? It looks so cool. Skin tag. <laughs> skin tag. Blake. Skin tag. Oh, I found out. Uh, Blake, your eyebrows are so long. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of hobby, a little bit of play. I was playing some Titanfall week before. Okay. Uh, playing a lot of World of Warcraft. I n- I've noticed that. Um, I'm a little ashamed. Yeah, it's you know fine. What? It's fine. I cleared a bunch of challenges on Hearthstone and got a lot of gold. Really? Yeah, there's still double points, I think, right now. Just got to get in there. And... Yeah, yeah. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of things, though. A lot yeah. of activities. Yeah. Um. But I was thinking, God damn it. I had, I had it on the tip of my tongue. Sorry, dude. I was, I was wrapping it up, played games, activities, yeah. hobbies. All these things are happening and culminating. And therefore, yeah, dude, <sighs> yeah, brother, I can't, I can't. Ice cream melting, ice cream melting, kids dying. Well, fuck it. Um, ah, fuck it. Oh, did it have to do with Gav? No. Oh, but that's you know maybe it did. Maybe it did. Let's just say maybe it, it did. did. Let's just say it did. Let's just say it and did. finish this baloney up. Well, guys, we have a Facebook page if you want to get on there. Oh, yeah. You can well, interact with us. You know what? There has been some activity on there. Yeah, there has. Um, if you look through there, we do kind of a, we do like, we do for about an hour, we sit down and hobby. Or we'll answer no, no. questions sometimes. Yeah, well, you can watch that. Yeah. On Facebook. The little session we did. And then comment on it. Do a comment, dude. dude. Just drop some comments on there. Maybe some questions, dude. Well, we'll see about the questions. Man. We'll see. About we'll see that. about the questions yeah, for sure. But um, I want to say that there is something coming up that I am excited about. Geek in Geek in North. No. Oh, you're not excited about Geek in North? No, I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to go. What? I don't know, man. A lot, a lot of ins and outs and this old this old oh, process. Oh my god. Yeah, I know. Well, Carl hasn't gotten back to me too oh. much. I mean, he said possible. He said it's possible, but. That means yes, Blake. So let's wrap this business up. Episode uh, 204, we think. Has it been only two months since we've seen Josh? It seems like, like I said, it seems like a long... Oh, Game of Thrones is starting up. Oh, when's that? Tonight? Tomorrow night? Uh, Sunday. Sunday. So that's in another day, if this is the 15th. Yep. Well, guys, listen. Uh, we had a talk with Gav Thorpe. It was very enjoyable. Um, he's a really nice guy. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, I think he has some, some stuff coming out. Yeah. Or if it's not out by now, check it out. I'm sure we talked about it on the interview. If you're interested in it, check that, check that shit out. Yeah. Go to black library and order it or maybe directly through him somehow. Yeah. DM him on Twitter and say, I want to buy things. Yeah. Can I buy your stuff? I wonder if he won his blood bowl match. You know what? That's a good question. We should ask him that. Yeah, well, one day. One day. Yeah. 
All right. I don't know what to say from here on out. We don't say anything. Oh. You just press the stop button. Uh huh. And then Let's the rest of the show will start. That's it. Yeah, you press. You sure? Yeah. Hey, buddy, you ready to play some 40K? Yep, I brought an old wallet, three CD cases, and a mic stand. What's the mic stand for? You know how you make your daughter hold up the unsupported section of the kitchen table? The mic stand can fill in for her when she has to use the bathroom. Oh, that's genius. She's getting super muscular from all that lifting. Yeah, she's looking like Stallone's double from over the top. No kidding. Last week, she hugged me, and I peed blood for three days. But we don't need the mic stand. So we're going to be using the wallet and the CDs to level out the two folding tables? Nope. Uh, we're going to put the flimsy plywood over the coffee table. I hate that. I broke half my army when we leaned on it last time. No. Not the floor again. Follow me. Let me show you the future. Firmaterra's Alpha Table. Firmaterra's Alpha Table is a portable tabletop gaming innovation, a game space that moves with you. The Alpha Table is a full 6 foot by 4 foot gaming table that folds up into a 48 inch by 18 inch unit with handles. It can be slipped under your bed, fit into the trunk of your car, and hidden from ashamed loved ones. The creators of the Alpha Table wanted a solution that would cost less than your terrain, move along with your army and miniatures, and remain out of sight when not in use. Head over to FirmerTerra.com to look at full specs, videos, and pictures. Firmaterra. Make war everywhere. Hey, is your daughter home from school yet? I have to rotate my tires and I don't have a floor jack. Use code LATCS at checkout. Hey, this is Big Nasty B from Life Ever the Cover Safe, and I'm at a mall talking to strangers about Table War. Table War develops some of the most innovative products for the miniature wargaming and hobby industry. And I develop pictures. That's great. They develop things like the fat Matt. Who's Matt? And why is he so fat? Well, first off, Matt is not a person. The fat Matt is a tabletop gaming surface. And with over 40 different designs, Table Wars Fat Matt has become a community standard. I got a surface proud. It's like 10 inches. By the way, I mean my friend Simbon. Do you know what that is? No, but I do want to tell you about the Table War Tower Case line. Oh man, towers are so huge. Well, it's not that kind of tower. It's the original modular, all-in-one display storage and transport system for all your tabletop miniatures. Wow, you're really smart. What's your relationship status? Well, it's complicated. But you know what isn't complicated? Chili dogs. This is true. But also, the Macromat. Oh geez, not that guy again. The Macromat is a -a one-of-a-kind innovative photography backdrop. Perfect for collectibles, hobby miniatures, and small works of art. It's durability, portability, and functionality in one inexpensive product. I wasn't paying attention to what you just said, but do you validate parking? No, I do not. But if you want more information, head over to TableWar.com and check them out. Table War! Hey guys, Big Nasty B here. I want to talk to you about all the great stuff that you can buy at Wargamer.com. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's Wargamma.com. Wargamma.com? Yeah. Mr. Danny does alternative and original resin sculpts for tabletop war games. Models, terrain, markers, and objectives. Even bases. Wait, 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 wait. I understand what war is. It's a battle. I understand what gamma is. It's like gamma rays that made the Hulk the Incredible Hulk. But if you put them together, I don't get what they're talking about. Well, I'm not sure either. But if you go to wargamma.com, you can see just what I'm talking about. Hey, Robo. 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 Hey,
<laughs> you think Mr. Danny likes chimichangas as much as we do? Wargamma.com Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence, let's get nuts! Okay, listen up! This is serious business! Well, I've wrestled with reality for 35 years, Doctor, and I'm happy to state I finally won out over it. Hey, don't worry, I can handle it. I took something. I can see things no one else can see. Why are you dressed like that? So anyways, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Hey, guys. Big Nasty B here. Oh, yeah, Robo-Ed. Robo-Ed is here also, but he didn't have... The batteries weren't in him very long. Dude, I'm Robo-Tired right now. That's what it is. (laughs) Why are you so Robo-Tired? Well, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, maybe. Maybe I didn't. Um, We went to Disneyland, and we stayed a couple nights. One night, but I stayed late the first night. And then uh, we woke up early to go again the next day. <sighs> but everybody had fun. Every, that's all that matters. Yeah. Now, loyal lifers, we have a special guest today. Who may have never been to Disneyland. Who, yeah, that's the that was my first <laughs> yeah. question. Mr. Gav Thorpe, have you ever been to Disneyland? I've not been to Disneyland. We went to uh, Paramount when I was in Orlando. Oh. A long while ago, for I was down in Florida for a, a tournament. Was it um, I was invited over. That would uh, be sorry, Universal, Universal Studios, yeah. yeah. Universal Studios, sorry, that's right. Um, so it was a choice. We could go to Disneyland or we could go to Universal. So we went to Universal, <laughs> which was good fun. Um, but no, I've not been to Disney. Well, I don't believe you missed anything when it comes <laughs> to Disneyland. <laughs> wow. That's just my yeah. personal adult <laughs> opinion. Um, but Ed here, he is a connoisseur of both Disney and Universal. Yeah. So, right, yeah. I mean, what what would be the main differences, Ed? So what 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 did Mister Thorpe miss out on when he failed to go to Disney, oh, Disney World know, in Florida? It depends on what Gav's into. I mean, if he's into Universal movies, then he's fine. You know, <laughs> if he likes Disney characters, uh, uh, reminiscent of his childhood, then. You know, maybe Disneyland's a good place to go. If he has a young kid, mm-hmm. Disneyland would be probably a pretty nice place to go. Yeah, I think Universal can be kind of scary for the wee ones. Oh, we went during Christmas one time to Universal Studios in California, and there was dead bodies everywhere in for like Christmas? a Christmas area walking to uh, a Despicable Me ride. <laughs> Because it was, well, actually, no, it wasn't Christmas. It was actually near Halloween where they do the yes. Fright Fest. But the the street is like an old street, and it looked like <laughs> a scene from um, Oliver Twist, maybe with snow and stuff. <laughs> and then there's carts with those bodies in them. Hey, yes, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. So we're saying more realistic, really. That's what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, when was Oliver Twist? When did that take place? I don't know. Eight, the 1850s, maybe. Yeah. Do you do you do you know? Am I am I on the am I on the around there? Uh, yeah, the yeah. late yeah, sort of mid to late Victorian period. So, so workhouses so, and cholera. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say they. I think the corpse cart is is something that it's until historical. recently, historical. 
it's yeah, it's, until recently. Well, I guess even today, certain parts of the world, the corp the corpse card is a regular a regular yeah. thing to see. Yeah. But in our in our world, uh, when's the last time we saw a corpse card in mass? That's true. Uh, polio? No, they would just die in the hospitals. All the kids. World War II. Probably probably Spanish flu in the nineteen tens. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it, it's out of our zeitgeist. Yeah. At, so, at yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is a good thing, because because <laughs> I, I imagine Gigi or the three year olds walking through yeah. uh, an old timey Victorian city, and you know a, a a bunch of bodies on corpses, like uh, carts, just picking up pockets full of posies. Mm. Well, back <laughs> then they would also uh, they would also just, as far as I understand, they would just dump their their. Uh, Bodies? Their their pee and their their oh. feces that they had Into the little the chamber buckets and just pop it out the window. Yeah. Um, now you could chime in on this, Gab, at any point. <laughs> if, you know, I'm being inaccurate. Well, I'm here. not sure on the exact dates, but I think London actually had plumbing by that point. Oh, they very you know, quite. They were, you know, whether people used it or not is another issue, and not in all the parts. But um, <laughs> there's a fairly yeah. Um, <clears throat> A fairly famous engineer who basically devised London's sewer system around about that time. Yeah. But yeah, what? because because of all the problems of not no fresh water and everyone crapping everyone, Maybe. <laughs> yeah, crapping in the street. Maybe that's New York that we're thinking of. Yeah. They just dump trash out the. the uh, oh no! That, yeah, everywhere was like that. I'm saying, and eventually everyone moved over to sort of more modern plumbing. But well, thank God. Yeah. Although here's the deal: in the wake of of, of modern plumbing and sewage and you know all of that there is something very primal and uh liberating about just taking a pee outside mm-hmm. <laughs> um so like that is something that is is missed i think i mean now if that happens you're going to get on a, a special list for, <laughs> for the police is going to put you on a special list for you know exposing yourself which is i think that's probably more true for the guys than the girls as well <laughs> you know, that's true. I mean, yeah. they're not so keen on the peeing outside. No. <laughs> the girls would get like a pat on the back. <coughs> I think. Yeah, it's just unfair. We were told it was okay. there was a park you're allowed to pee in in London. Yes, we were. Or Chiswick. It was in Chiswick. It was in Chiswick. And we, right. we had a local say that, yeah, it was perfectly acceptable to pee in the park. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know if he was entirely telling the truth. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it might be, yeah. Well, he let us. <laughs> I mean, it was also what, like eleven midnight, maybe. Yeah, it was, it was like really one late. in the morning. One in the morning. Yeah. Right. We yeah. had just picked up some uh, shawarma. Some shawarma. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, the park was beautiful. Chiswick, Chiswick's a nice little area. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little too posh for my standards. But... I say it's very suburban. Um, but the, the 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 parks there, lovely to pee in. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I can say you know what? I think about it. I've been to Africa. Uh-huh. I don't think I ever peed outside in Africa. Weird. Yeah, <laughs> trying to think about it in all the continents. Uh-huh. Although I mean, England is part of the European subcontinent. Yeah, yeah. So I have peed outside in Europe. I've peed outside in North America, Central America. Yeah. But I haven't been to South America. So, Gav, if you could pick any continent, <laughs> if you could pick any continent to pee outside, 
what 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 would what would be your go to? You think? Well, I think bottom of the list would be Australia. Yeah. There's just too many beasties there that are gonna. You don't want. <laughs> you don't want to be caught vulnerable there, do you? No. It's All the spiders. spiders. <laughs> <laughs> well, Europe's a good choice because although we've got a few things, <laughs> there's not there's not too much that's gonna. Yeah. Um, spring on you. Jump up, yeah. Jump yeah. up and, and and take hold. Well, that's the thing. When I was in when I was in Rome. Um, it smelled like people had been pissing on the streets for thousands of years. Um, so I think, you know, the soil itself, the stone is used to it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of being at home for the, for the urine, uh, old world, old world Europe seems to be a pretty good spot, but he does Come have the a history good point. for the smell. <laughs> so, uh, now Gav, right now. Um, is a pretty well personally for you, and and uh, uh, we got an email a while back. Um, that one of your books was on the David Gamel Legends mm-hmm. up for up for an award. Yes, yes, that was. Now, um, how did the and you know we we posted it on our end Facebook. on our Facebook. We saw other podcasts and other entities do that as well um so how did that finish up is the voting over uh, the vote, yeah the voting finished second midnight on second of june but the um the results aren't announced until there's an event in july um, okay so uh, i can't remember that date it's an event called edge lit which is sort of like a local genre event which it, fortunately this year is is about a you know it's six miles from my house <laughs> uh, oh. previous years it's been a bit further afield but it's a very local event that i go to each year anyway but um so yeah the award ceremonies and in, in the evening after that um now it so, was yeah it, looking forward to that it was your book war beast correct it was yeah my my age of sigma novel war beast um which was nice and it was um it was nice i, I, I was genuinely surprised because it's basically two rounds of voting so there's a long list of uh novels that are put forward by publishers so they they'll pick pick one of their titles to put forward to and then it's a public vote online public vote uh, and then that's down to a short list there's three there's three awards so there's the legends award which is just for sort of best fantasy novel then there's the morning star award which is for best debut um and the ravenheart award which is for best cover artist so, oh, okay. so each of those goes through two rounds of voting and I do believe was the War Beast also up for the cover? No, that was one. I can't remember which one it was. It was Raymond Swanland with one of Josh Reynolds' uh, book novels, I think. Uh, okay, because I think I saw a few Black Library books on that uh, between those three awards. Uh, yes, yeah. So I think uh, there's definitely one for Ravenheart. I'm not sure if we had if there was a debut or for the, that was eligible for the Morning Star this year, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, previously I had my uh, Warhammer novel Shadow King a few, quite a few years back now was on the long list, but that didn't make it to the short list. So I was thinking, you know, um, last year David Geimer got to the short list with his last Gotrick and Felix novel. Huh. So, and obviously Graham McNeil won the Legends Award with um, uh, one of his Sigma novels, I think it was Empire, I can't remember which one it was. So, you know, there's been hits and misses over the years about whether you know whether a book reaches the shortlist or not or warhammer books and considering war beast came out 
not long after, really, relatively speaking, the change over to Age of Sigmar, I was very curious to see, That's you know, what, what sort of support there would be for it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was I was genuinely uh, very. Um, very grateful that it made the shortlist, which was great. So we'll see what if that's been replicated or or not for the actual um, award vote. But it's just nice to have made the cut, I think, and it yeah. kind of shows that there is uh, the the appeal of Age of Sigma has been growing, and I think over the couple of years since it's been out now, it's become a more established background. The fiction certainly has become more diverse in its subject and depth. So, and it's continuing to grow as a setting. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the books, what Brandon Sanderson was on one of, I think he probably led, yeah. and he's a, he's 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 somewhat of a juggernaut in fantasy, in the yes. fantasy genre right now. Yeah, so, and in fact, he 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 was the one giving out the award last year, <laughs> so he okay. was the guest of honor. So yeah, I mean, there's and there's some familiar faces. Mark Lawrence tends to make the shortlist most years. I think this might be the fourth time he's made the shortlist, uh, and. Yeah, some they like say some familiar names certainly. So it's good company to be in for sure. Yeah, that would be fantastic to see that, and hopefully the uh, the the Warhammer fandom yeah. uh, uh, came out and 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 push you to the top there, because that would be fantastic yes. to see. Yeah, and it's nice that a lot of people, you know, obviously, um, uh, people have sort of like got in touch and saying I voted, but also just sort of saying how much they enjoyed the novel or what they liked about it. So it's it's kind of been, as well as the actual vote, it's been nice to hear from people, um, you know, who maybe otherwise wouldn't have said anything. They enjoyed it, but you know, people don't necessarily offer the more freely offer criticism than they do uh, praise a lot mm. of the time. But actually, uh, sort of um, reassured me that there's a lot of people out there that actually enjoyed Warbeast. Because it was a difficult one to write because the setting was very new and getting used to it. But I'm quite pleased with the way it turned out. So yeah, well, that's going to be people enjoy it. That is going to be one advantage to um, to the uh, 40k novels and stories that are going to be coming out is that inherently the world is the same. Like yes, the 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 you know. The meta myth of the K of the Horus Heresy is still there, um, you know. All the main all the main characters are are still around. Uh, the world hasn't been disfigured, um, so I think yeah. So I think I can see why that might feel more comfortable writing in a in the new forty k uh, universe. Uh, compared to the the Age of Sigmar, which had a massive, massive reset. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the way it sort of explained to me, which I think is a good way of looking at it, was is like the setting hasn't 40k hasn't changed in the same way that sort of Warhammer came Age of Sigmar. It's just got bigger. There's more in it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not the, you know obviously Age of Sigmar got rid of the old world and lots of stuff before, whereas all of the 40k sort of narrative uh, and kind of additions to the setting haven't really they've, they've changed the setting but they haven't actually got rid of anything there's still tyrannids there's still yeah. chaos there's, you know everything was still there there's just more of it and it's all a bit more jumbled up and a, a bit more um you know just a bit more of a dynamic to it i suppose yeah yeah well i'm interested i mean i read a little bit about the blood angels and where their kind of storyline went um, right. so essentially, 
they were fighting the Tyranids in a in a life and death struggle. Um yes. and essentially that threat is over and in its place is corn demons. Um so to me I like that space because there's not a lot separating the the death company and and those of the blood angels who have quote unquote you know fallen or whatever to corn you know i think when you get yeah. down to it it's it's almost two peas in the same pod so i yeah, think it, that offers interesting space to explore some of those themes and ideas and who knows what'll happen there well definitely and it's sort of it's um you know, it's reminiscent of the, some of the themes that are there in the heresy storyline with Sanguinius and, you know, was um, was he actually the first chosen? There's, there's a whole sequence in Fear to Tread and things about the Red Angel and Sanguinius and, and basically being Korn's first chosen and, you know, Sanguinius turning it down and all that sort of stuff. So that it gets revisited, that that's a theme that's not left them, like I say, teetering on that, that precipice between salvation and damnation which is what makes them so interesting yeah um that yeah it kind of be, being brought front and center so it's not just a, a physical battle but it's a, a spiritual battle for them again and those are the best kind what, of battles those yeah spiritual battles well that's, <laughs> well that's what's always drawn me to the dark angels and doing the dark angel stuff was that their, their conflicts homegrown you know it's like it doesn't matter really what they're fighting um Obviously, you know, you can do exciting things whether they're fighting Tyranids or Necrons or Orcs or whatever, but actually the conflict is of their own devising usually because of the hunt for the fallen and the way they're organised and keep secrets and all that sort of thing. So, and, and actually bringing some of that stuff into the Dark Angels as well. So it's about the internal conflict as much as the external threat, mm-hmm. which is, you know, at the heart of particularly the Imperium and Chaos, you know, the enemy within, the we are our own worst enemies and and making that part of the big story again. You have something, Edward? Uh, who was... Who did he ultimately choose? Corn. Who, 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 who did Sanguinus ultimately choose? No, no, no. Corn. Like, who did he end up taking after Sanguinus? Like, who is... Oh, yeah, oh, it's yeah. Angron, right? Angron, yeah. yeah. Okay. Eh, Angron, runner-up, you know, in the heart. Spiritually, <laughs> Angron was the second. Yeah. Does, does well, Angron hold that? Does does Angron like know that and feel that? Uh, who knows these days? I mean, it was one of the things also that that actually um, that in general the Chaos Gods wanted Sanguinius over Horus, perhaps, and that was Horus's fear that he was second choice, mm. which is why he actually wanted the Blood Angels destroyed at Cygnus Prime rather than trying. He was supposed to try and turn Sanguinius and decided to destroy him instead because he saw Sanguinius as the greatest threat to his position, not as an opponent but as a rival. So, um, well, in the end, Horace won out. Yeah, you know, Sanguinus <laughs> yeah. died. Well, in that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we know how that one went. But that, and that's again, that all just ties into the the big narrative of it and it, and how cool that is. And it's why I love Sanguinus's story and his defiance at the end and and the two of them facing off suddenly becomes not just a he was the guy who got in the way, but actually, it was a, you know, if you zigged instead of zagged, that could have been easily reversed, or you know, the fact that. Even at the end, Sanguinius, you know, has been tempted his entire life, and and Horus, you know, still offers him a place at his side, and he turns it down, knowing he's going to be destroyed because of it. 
and that makes Sanguinea Spacey a hero. <laughs> you know, he's just the, the most heroic of the Primarchs for that sacrifice. This is, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Gav Thorpe says, Sanguinius, the most heroic of the Primarchs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I've said it before. It's, he definitely is. It's just, well, for me, you know, it's in terms of that story. I, I love Sanguinius' story and the fact that, and it's the bitterness of it, that, that his death, his sacrifice, curses his sons for 10,000 years, you know, with the, the the black rage and the red thirst. You know, it's sort of, their, their flaw is, comes from their nobility. Rather than dark angels, it's the other way around. You know, their flaw is, as I say, it's entirely of their own doing. Um, That's fantastic, by the way. I got, I got actually, got, I actually got a, a tiny wave of goosebumps there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hadn't thought about it that way. That you're having your flaw or that negative thing about you is the origin is from a noble act. That's interesting, yeah. and then and then of course, yeah, the dark angels, like you're saying, it's that's it's their flaw is something that they really really did that was quote unquote bad or whatever. Uh, yeah. but there's a lot more guilt involved with the dark yes. angels. Um, but that, I think that's the thing. I mean, the way you know, sort of like when I was introduced, when I sort of joined the design studio, I was introduced to some of these ideas. Um, and, and the, the sort of like the big four, as they were at the time, which is the Blood Angels, Dark Angels, Ultramarines, and Space Wolves. So the Ultramarines are the orthodox ones. They're the Space Marine, Space Marine. And the Space Wolves are the opposite. They're the, the exemplars of unorthodoxy. They don't follow the codex. They've got their own troop types, blah, blah, mm. blah. So that was always what they did. And then the idea behind the Blood Angels and the Dark Angels is that the Blood Angels were physically flawed, but spiritually pure. Hmm. And the Dark Angels were physically pure, but spiritually flawed. So, and, and that was the dynamics that you worked around with why those four became exemplars of the Space Marines. Oh, that's fantastic. We were talking with our buddy, and he was saying that, um, and this, this reminded me, he, he was reading some transcripts of the Chapter House thing, and they were talking about they had the, the, the people who were designing the Space Marines and how the backpack was, was, was silhouetted and formed in a way to to, to uh, look like a, a bedroll on the back of a soldier um, and how, like, the actual physical design of the Space Marine, uh, all the thought and ideas in it to the depth made him fall in love with Space Marines all over again. And this, uh, this des- the, the design space that you're talking about, uh, the four, the orthodox, the unorthodox, and the blood angels and the... The Dark Angels. Uh, I could see how that uh, that might want to make you fall fall in love with Space Marines all over again. Shows <laughs> shows some of the detail and some of the thought behind this. When we 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 take for granted a lot of it because we just see the final product, you know. Uh, well, I think also we see the detail. You know, we've, there's lots of detail been added to that, and also, uh, you know, I think over the years some of that's been lost a little bit because. You know, other you know, in, in the in the requirement and sort of like the desire to expand stuff out to you know introduce black templars and imperial fists and and things like that and and give them more detail and more history. Then obviously those four stark themes um, sort of get get blurred a bit. So the black templars are unorthodox as well. The you yes. know, um and, and things like that. So uh, and particularly the. You know, again, when you come back to the successors of the, the Blood Angels and Dark Angels, and, and they become extremities 
of that theme. So actually, the Dark Angels and Blood Angels seem like the reasonable ones <laughs> along that continuum when you compare them to like the Flesh Terrors, or you know. So, um, but yeah, I think you know, and we 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 know we see everything that's accrued around it, you know, the names of the characters and the history of the battles and everything. But but still, the underlying underlying theme of who they are, I think, is still there. Now I want to switch gears here, um, and it kind of it goes from the the David Gamel Legend Award, and uh, now Dave Gamel wrote some great stuff. Rest in peace. Uh, yeah. Did you read much Gamel? I did. Yeah, I know loads. <laughs> Nearly everything I'd say. It was one of my my favorite authors when I was growing up, well, and and into my adulthood. Yeah. Now, no more Gamel stuff coming out. Do you, do you? What was the last, the last, uh, the last series he was working on? Was it the stuff that he was doing with the, uh, the people of the stone, and it was kind of like the, the the Romans and the and the Celts? Was that the last? Yes. Think, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because he sort of did. That was what was sort of quite you know, sort of alluring about yourself as well, because there's the out-and-out fantasy stuff, but there's also sort of like the slightly fantastical and even less fantastical historical stories that he wrote and things like that. So it was quite... So that idea... So, of course, he is intimately, you know, related to um, heroic fantasy, but actually yeah. it wasn't just that that he wrote. And you look at things like Lion of Macedon or, like I say, the various yes. other historical and semi-historical series he wrote, it was, it was actually broader than that. Yeah. Now... From what I understand, uh, Mr. Gamel had made his living for a time as a bouncer in nightclubs and bars. Have you heard that before? It sounds familiar, yes. <laughs> so, now, uh, Gav, have you, would you ever done that line of work, being, being a bouncer at a pub <laughs> or anything like that? No, no. The closest I got is I worked in a, well, what you guys would call a liquor store. I worked in an off-license, mm. or an off-license department, an alcohol department of a store. So I occasionally, I didn't get to bounce drunks, but occasionally I had to chase them out when they tried to steal bottles of vodka. Or, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I usually just had to put up with the um, the poor homeless guys before they were getting their, got their money and they were down to their last change of emptying out their pockets of fluff and coins to pay for their drinks. Um what you have... was less than appealing. So that was the the closest I've had to anything like that. Well, the, you know what? I didn't think there were homeless in in England. Um, no, there's plenty, unfortunately. No, that's not what I. That's, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't see any when I was in London. Actually, well, we, no, we, no, we, we, we did. We we don't. We we saw plenty of homeless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know what? We I see a lot of that too. You know, I'm going to the gas station to get my smokes. And you know the you see those you know folks outside and and I worry about you're saying that they're emptying their pockets to pull out change and you know I'm worried about like you know uh, what the Jimmy hat or something like that might pop out of their condom as it's known you know be afraid uh, yeah. to see that s- splash on the counter so you <laughs> so my point being is. So, unlike David Gamel, you never had to professionally, physically throw people out of buildings. Um, Nobody paid me to do it. No. no one paid you to do it. All right. So then, <laughs> well then, and I didn't do it as a hobby. <laughs> you didn't do it as a hobby. So you I were never throw people out of buildings for a hobby. No. You were never much of a scrapper. Um, 
Not no, not particularly. I got into a few fights at school and things, and I did a little bit of martial arts training when I was younger and stuff. But I've never, um, yeah, I've never really gone out of my way to try and get in fights or anything like that. Just uh, well, that's good. Too busy being that's a good. nerd. So now here's the question: uh, Has anybody ever asked you if you've been in a fight before in an interview? Uh, that may be the first time. <laughs> Nailed it, yes. dude. Nailed it. Professionals. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you're doing well. I think you're the first people to ask me which continent I want to pee outside in as well. So. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, welcome yeah. to life after the cover set. Well, welcome back. Yeah. Um, true. So these days you are... Are you trying to make a point that you're a bouncer? Is that where you're going? No, because David Gamel, yeah, he's I up know. for the David Gamel Award. Oh, I understand that. David Gamel had been a bouncer. Yes, I understand that. And so I was wondering... But you've been Gav, a bouncer. I was a bouncer yeah. for, for, for a few years. And you write. And I do write, but I'm no David Gamel. No, no, you're not. No, no, I am not. Uh, so, so you primarily these days, you you you, you consider yourself a, a writer for the most part. Yeah, yeah, I'd say the vast. I mean, you know, it's what my it's my day job is sitting down and writing uh, fiction. So, and, and any any sort of games design stuff or other stuff, it's 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 mainly. In my spare time, you know, it's kind of swapped. I was a games developer in my day job and was writing the Black Library stuff, in particular freelance, on my own time. Whereas, yeah, it's the other way around now. Yeah. Well, I remember way back when. Uh, yeah, you were you you were you were, you were mostly a rules guy, and now did you write a Blood Angels books? Maybe like third edition. I did the I did the third edition Blood Angels mini decks, yeah. um, which was. Tiny, yes, um, <laughs> but I think that was one of the. Coolest... But I still managed to really piss off a load of people. Well, I <laughs> think that it was... didn't take many pages. <laughs> really, really annoy people um, with the Bile Predator and the Furioso Dreadnought. So that was kind of yeah my legacy. That's one of my many legacies to forty k was annoying people with that, along with toughness eight wraith lords. Well, uh, <laughs> we thank you. <laughs> <coughs> now I remember that. Um, I think that was the first book where they had the death company that would uh, swell uh, before each game, or the possibility of, of growing. Yeah, and, and exactly. My... It was, it was an, un, an unplanned resource, really. That you didn't, you didn't know. Who, you had to test to see who was going to succumb to the Black Rage, um, which I thought was kind of fun. I mean, I, th I, I think the inspiration was it because I think there was might have been something similar. I can't remember in the old epic Blood Angels list. I can't remember. There was something already in one of the games, I'm sure, where you could do that. But it, yeah, it was part of the narrative of them, really. Rather than it just seemed weird that you'd think, oh, yes, I can pick to have six yeah. guys succumb and I happen to take them into battle. Whereas I thought it, it, it told a better story if suddenly one of the guys from your Devastator squad decided, you know. So comes and runs off to join the chaplain. Yeah. Here, hold my plasma cannon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lay down that missile launcher. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm keeping it. I'm, I'm going to be smashing people with my missile launcher. Uh, he would never be able to shoot because he's always running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially back in that, I think in that rule set, they always moved. Like oh. they moved towards the closest enemy model. You'd have to. T yeah, that was the idea. Is you'd have to test. And originally. It was, it was just a test at the start of the movement phase, and I think if you roll a one or roll a six, I can't remember, then they'd have to move because of the, the urge to fight. Um, and then it became, it was a, 
I listened to Jervis Johnson, who kind of suggest, who said basically players don't remember rules that disadvantage them. <laughs> so it kind of it tweaked into it was a bonus movement, and I think that's where it slightly skewed a bit. Actually, it, it got a little bit too. The idea was it kind of you may be slightly discouraged from taking devastators, yeah, or or too many heavy troops because you know they're a little bit unreliable. Um, you know, on that turn when you needed to you know fire the missile launcher, they decided exactly. to go and hit it. Um, but actually it became just a little bit too the, the bonus movement became too much of an advantage you almost wanted to fail with your assault troops and things so that was the yeah well, so it, was, it didn't you know yeah it wasn't quite as I originally attended because I changed my mind on it yeah no, that, that was a good time for me as a budding intro player because I remember I think I think I rolled up like three different squads in one turn once on a charge <laughs> because yeah. the you know they would jump back in. They would they would they would route the first squad, and then they had a sustained assault where they would go into the next squad, and they didn't have the foresight to be like you can only do that once. Um, but yeah, those were the golden the, the young. That, that's when I was still a young man. Yeah, I was you know <laughs> uh, fourteen, fifteen years old. Uh, probably my best my best play. As a as a forty k person, he peaked at fourteen. Yeah, I peaked. Around, I mean, honestly, I peaked around nineteen. Oh, okay. But in terms of my forty k, yeah, no more than you know, four years before that. <laughs> so. Yeah, he was when he peaked as a man in real life. He was still riding that forty k wave. <laughs> yes, exactly. Four years. <laughs> so for you, then, do you? Uh, do you, do you 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 write every day? Is it like um, you know? I've heard people talking about morning pages. They wake up and they write one page longhand uh, before they do anything, uh, before they have breakfast or have coffee or whatever. So, oh oh, okay. You know what? Like getting a signal. You hold on to that. We're gonna run some commercials and okay, a quick okay. break, and we're gonna come back and talk about some nuts and bolts and bolters and bolters. Mechanical War Horse. Mechanical War Horse specializes in affordable, quality gaming aids, like markers, tokens, templates, and game effects. It doesn't matter what game system or skill you're playing, their products will take your game experience to the next level. Let's face it, makeshift gaming aids just don't cut it anymore. Mechanical War Horse. Check out MechanicalWarHorse.com. Not only is the owner, Carlos, a great man, but he's a great lover. Once again, MechanicalWarHorse.com. Mechanical War Horse. Yo, get off the computer. I need to check eBay. I got an auction ending soon. Wait, what are you doing on the computer? I'm just buying some minis online. Are you saving money? Nah, dude, saving clicks. Time is money, right? Hey, what the heck was that for? Dude, you gotta buy from Frontline Gaming. They offer savings on minis every single day and up to 25% off Games Workshop stuff. Whoa, that's better than saving clicks. With all that savings, I can take a few days off of work so I can paint these minis. Ow! You gotta stop that. It hurts. You know what hurts? Spending three weeks base coning models. Save yourself some pain and get them painted by Frontline Gaming's painting studio. 
You know what? You've got all the answers. That's why I'm glad you're my best friend. I don't know what I'd do without you. I could never hurt you. What are you looking up on eBay? I'm uh, selling a bunch of old models. Don't really use them anymore. Why aren't you going through Frontline Gaming's secondhand store? You can get money or store credit. I think you broke my nose. I don't like your tone, mister. So I'm just going to say this. Head over to FrontlineGaming.org for more details. Throughout human history, our species has faced the frightening, terrorizing fact that we do not know who we are or where we're going in this ocean of chaos. The world is made of language. The, the mind is somehow a co-creator in the process of reality through acts of language. All right. We're back. We ran the commercials, yep. paid the bills. Now, we ask all of our guests, uh, Gav, which of those commercials was your favorite? Uh, the one in the middle. The middle one is a good one. Yeah. We've heard that yeah. before. I, I'd definitely buy all of that. Yep. Well, well, that's good. Yeah. They could use your money. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, the exchange rate is probably favorable. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Well, yeah, we don't have any UK or world sponsors. It's all people from the United States. Yeah, um, but they will send to you. They will ship to you, Gav. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. we have distributors out here. Yeah, there are. We do. Yeah, several of our sponsors have distributors and warehouses out there as well. Um, yeah. So just for the record, the third commercial was middle. The the middle commercial was the uh, the 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 table war commercial. So okay, yeah. I hope. I hope we'll find out. <laughs> we will find I remember out. Remember uh, when I put this thing together. <clears throat> so back, so back. The, the question I had before the break, um, like, do you have like a regular routine that you follow with your writing, um, or what's up with that for you? Uh, yes, I do. I mean, I. It's my it's my job. So I mean, I don't. I don't write anything longhand because I've got terrible handwriting and it makes my hand hurt after about 10 minutes. Um, so I will get up, depending on which day it is, I walk my my little boy to nursery and come back and have breakfast or just have breakfast. Uh, and then sometime between half eight and half nine, probably I'll start working and I sit down and uh, I will write until lunchtime. Um, so, you know, four hours, maybe lots of breaks in between. I don't, it's not solid four hours of writing, but, and then if I'm edit or if I'm editing or whatever it is I need to do. And occasionally if I'm trying to come up with stuff, if I'm, if I'm putting together a synopsis and obviously I might go out and about for a drive and that sort of thing. But it's, um, you know, it's, I, uh, I work that time each day or, or a similar time in the afternoon, um, sort of like a share parenting duties with my partner for, for Sammy. So sometimes uh, she'll work the morning and I'll work the afternoon or whatever, depending on what's going on. Mm-hmm. But uh, So that's it, yeah. I mean, I essentially work half a day, five days a week writing uh, in, in its various guises. Yeah. Well, that's what they say. If you <laughs> want to be a writer, you need to write. Mm-hmm. Preferably every day. Now, I've heard other yes. people talk about maybe it's not an everyday thing, Maybe it's about making sure you get 12 hours or eight hours in a week. Uh, uh, whether that's, you know, you, you can 
you know, you can get more done on Saturday and Sunday, for instance, than you can during the week. Uh, so I've heard it's every day or other people say you need to get a certain amount of hours done every week or a certain number of pages done every week. So do you pay attention to that? Do you pay attention to how many pages or, or, or anything like that? Or is it just I, I make sure I have my time every day and I work during that time? Um, I, well, yeah, I mean, I have, you know, I have commission deadlines and things, so I have to deliver stuff by certain dates, which is, I mean, and when, and when I schedule my work, it's essentially on word count. So, you know, a novel, a black, a standard black library novel these days is between 80 and 90,000 words. Wow. So I, um, I generally, um, well, when I start scheduling, it's generally 2000 words a day. So 10,000 words a week, uh-huh. um, obviously, you know, take holidays and days off and sometimes it doesn't work out like that. So, um, you know, it's never quite, and I'm also terrible at starting. I'll, I'll be rubbish for the first week or two while I'm getting into a project and maybe not quite do that much and fritter around on Facebook and, <laughs> and all the rest of the stuff we do to avoid actually writing. So I end up having to catch up later, but yeah, so it, you know, it, it comes down to, there's a start point, a midway point where I'll send over, sort of like half the manuscript just to prove to Black Library that I am still working on it and get the next <laughs> payment. Um, and then, funny how sometimes that one's really important. <laughs> yeah. hey, you, are you actually writing this, Gav? Honest, I am. Look. Look um, and, and then try and hit the deadline, basically. Um, so, so uh, yeah. I, are you, do you ever, um, do you ever sit down? Like, because for me, it's a, there's a lot of fear and trepidation involved in sitting down to write. Um, and it's because it's not fun. It's not, it's not reliably, consistently enjoyable to do, to do, do, do. <laughs> um, do, do you have that issue at all? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, when it's not going well, when I when I'm not quite sure what I'm writing and I'm not enjoying it, is when it goes slowly. And then there's other times when it's great, and that's generally in direct proportion to the amount of preparation I've done at any given time. So whether I have actually, I can't remember if I've said it to you guys before, but generally, I said there's two, there's, there's three stages of writing for me. But, you know, everyone talking about you know, do you do every day or do you do X number of words or whatever. Essentially, what people have to do is find their own process. Yeah. Yeah. And. and and what works for them that allows them to finish something. And that might be they write one novel a year or one short story a month or, you know, or they get to churn it out, you know, because, you know, um, I'm very much in the, the style that because I'll just bang out a first draft and it'll be full of rubbish and it will get tidied up. But actually, so I'm kind of in these days, I believe the phrase is the flow. You know, you sort of like that brain state, the zone where you're not really thinking too much. You know, I'm just writing. It's a semi hypnotic state. Um, yeah. And I can do that if I've got a plan. So it's about getting into the flow, which might take half an hour, an hour, and then writing solidly for another hour, hour and a half, in which I'll write two, three thousand words. So, um, and that's what works for me. I wouldn't be able to write necessarily in half hour stints at the, at the same rate, because by the time I'm into it, I'd be finished. For some other people who are much more laboured about, or not laboured, much more diligent about every single word they put on the page in their first draft, then short intense bursts of like crafting every single sentence might work better for them. Um, so, so for me, it's kind of, 
a, a mixture of if I'm not looking forward to it because it's probably something's going wrong that my plan isn't right or hasn't been worked out properly and you know sometimes you just had a bad night and I'm tired and I just don't want to do it um, and one of the benefits of working for yourself is that you don't have to <laughs> one of the downsides of working for yourself is if you don't you don't get paid mm-hmm. um, so so yeah I mean if I, if I it's definitely there's definitely stages of every novel most writers will go through this where it's great and others where you just it's not working and you hate it and the doubts are there about you know you go oh god who am I kidding or whatever but then you finish it you know it get, you either get through it and you finish it and you look back and you think I've written another novel that's great and the other thing is experience I mean I've written the one I've just finished I'm just redrafting at the moment I can't remember it's like my 33rd 34th novel wow so you know, and adding to that an equal number of short stories plus audios and novellas and whatever. So it's like, it, it doesn't really throw up stuff at me that I'm surprised by in terms of the actual writing process. I'm very, I've been freelance full time for nine years. So my, you know, although my home circumstances have changed over time and things like that, my writing process um, kind of hasn't. I, I still leave it too late and end up writing 4,000 words a day and all this kind of stuff. But, um, I suppose you have that confidence to be able to back off sometimes and think if it's not working to step away, go for a walk, go for a drive, even, you know, for a day or two, not try and write it because what I'm trying to write isn't what I need to write. Um, and then other times, like, I think it's the Stephen King thing, isn't it? You just sit down and you just write your way through it. You know what you're writing. It's going to be nonsense and rewritten in, in the second draft. Um, or the other thing like, you can do is you just skip it. You know, you just think, right, well, I, again, if you've got a good plan, or at least an idea of where you're going and you know how that scene ends or how that chapter ends, you just write a note saying and they live happily ever after. And you can actually skip it and carry on yeah. the story somewhere and write something, you know. Some I, I tend to, tend to well, I used to tend to write start at the start and write the way through to the end. Um, other people are much more sporadic and will write scenes and then edit them together and, and stuff like that. Again, it's just part of each individual's process. Exactly. I do all of that stuff more more um in a more abstract fashion in terms of putting the scenes together as a plan and in ideas and it evolves as you're going along but you know there's a beginning middle and end i i, I might even have a i've started using a program called scrivener mm-hmm. um which is very useful because it basically allows it, it basically saves your workers individual files so you can you can sort of manipulate it and move scenes around a bit more easily and stuff so the last couple of novels where well, I've had different points of view, I've actually written a single point of view all the way through. So although I know kind of where I'll be cut in between the points of view, I just write you know, the story from this character's perspective all the way through. And so I don't have to jump between the headspaces of the different characters. And then I'll pick the second character and write the scenes that are planned from their point of view and then splice it all together at the end and then, and then kind of smooth over the bits uh, to make sure it all makes sense. I hadn't, I hadn't actually considered... I actually considered that before. If you're doing multiple character POVs, then it might actually be more difficult if you're actually writing them in the bounce back, you know, in the way that the reader is going to be seeing them because you have to move in and out of the headspaces of each individual uh, character's point of view. Or rather, you seems like it's a better idea, yeah, just to, to run one character all the way through and then leave it there, and then pick up the next one and run it all yeah. the way through. 
I, I don't know why I hadn't quite heard that before. I hadn't heard anybody say that before. I hadn't considered that before. It's very interesting. Yeah, well, the other thing it lets you do is that because you're writing those strands in isolation, you can you can kind of double check that each of those characters has has a nice arc to them. So although you might have a protagonist who dominates 80% of the story or 70% of the story from the point of view and is the main plot and things, you can still make sure that in if you remove that um, structure, that actually that each of the other characters that you're following has another sat- satisfactory story to tell, even mm. if it's not as big and grand. So, um, and where and when in the story, and it kind of helps with your pacing and things about when to, when to kind of move over to the subplot and when not to. I mean, it's something I'm still learning. Scrivener's, there's loads of cool tools on it to do with your research and character notes and stuff, but I, I've not even scratched the surface of it yet. And I, I don't know if I ever will really get the most out of it because of, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not the sort of person that's going to do five months of research before I write my one novel for the year. I write three novels a year. So, um, and it's in, you know, I know most of what I need to know in the setting and the rest of it is in a book somewhere or a PDF that I've been sent that I can check quite quickly. So there's lots of functionality there that I don't necessarily need to use, but it's very, it allows you, if 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 you're struggling particularly with structure, I think Scrivener is very useful because because the way you can move files around, move scenes, and, and you can kind of accrete chapters and things, because you can see that, you know, well, this scene and this scene and this scene all go together, and actually that's the natural end to that little bit of the narrative, so that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. You know, you're not, and and, uh, and then checking your pacing with your word count and stuff. So, yeah, and, and you can do a three-day, a 30-day free trial, you know, not as in 30 days of use, not just like one month from downloading it. It's like you get, you know, you get to run it for 30 days, so, you know, it's available on Mac and PC, and I've got it on my iPad now as well. So I can actually carry on working on my iPad away from the computer, uh, which is very useful. And, and so it works, it syncs so much better than something like Word or yeah. the word processor. So, yeah, it's, it's worth it for people who might be struggling a little bit just to try things like that, just changing the tools that you've got or the time that you use, you know, how you use it can, can drastically change how you write. Now, maybe... Um maybe a couple of years ago I actually um I found it on this weird there's like this bay on the internet that's full of pirates um <laughs> so I just yeah I I found it in there just floating amongst the, the flotsam and the jet you know there there was there was a pirate who was like hanging on to a piece of wood and then they're like there was this thing called Scrivener uh so I I I I I picked it up and I looked at it and it was like uh, I can see why this is really cool I can see why this is really useful but I'll probably spend more time fiddling with it <laughs> yeah. than actually doing what needs to be done uh, but I've heard nothing but good things about it and I yeah uh, I believe uh, yeah yeah I believe Warren Ellis I think I seen him many times talk about Scrivener. And how it helps him with certain things, but then again, he does quite a bit of research uh, when he's working on something. So it had yeah. places where he could, like a corkboard, or That's you right, know, yeah. places exactly he could right. just throw shit, clips, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, you can try links and PDFs and images, and and I'd say there's there's stuff in there that you can kind of do keywords and things quite appropriate to 40k and stuff these days. But um, uh, so like you know, you can do little character files so that if you, you know if you're 
halfway through the novel and you can't remember whether you said the character's eyes were black, you know, red, green, whatever, yeah. or how long their hair was. Um, you can kind of, if you've set them up as a keyword, then you can find them easily or you can actually have a little note appended to them so you can just click on their name and look up the details of them, all that kind of stuff. But it all needs setting up. And I always rock, for, you know, I pretty much rock from one project straight into the other. And almost, you know, so yeah. I never really, what I need to do is kind of, and I make so much stuff up as I'm going along and then have to consult later that, that I need to find a way to use those functions on the fly, like I say, rather than doing it all as kind of research and set up beforehand because I just don't have the luxury of my mortgage taking breaks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say I hadn't quite thought about this either, but but working on an IP uh, like the, the what Games Workshop has... Um, it's a kind of a nice setup because generally they say that you're either a outliner or a discovery writer or something in between, but definitely yeah. somebody weighs heavier in one of those things. And oftentimes uh, world building can be a difficult thing to do when you're a discovery writer. Um, yes. But if you have these PDFs at your disposal, you have the, the, the bulk of, you know, you have that uh, that master file or the canon listing uh, when you're writing that IP. I imagine it could probably be pretty nice for, it sounds like you're a bit of a discovery writer in some level, that you don't necessarily need to rely on, um, you know, having to lay the groundwork in the world building. It's simply like, oh, I am familiar by looking at these PDFs. Uh, if I'm ever at an issue when I'm writing, uh, if I need a reference something or whatever, I can just pop open that PDF and there you go. So rather you don't have to spend time and energy, um, you know, working on that. You can just let that back material, uh, you know, support you as you're moving through the story as it's happening. So that seems like yes. it'd be a pretty nice setup for someone who writes in that, in that particular way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I, I think yeah. In those terms, I suppose, and and you're right. It may be because I'm so familiar with the world. Oh, for sure, that time, too. Yeah, because like plot wise and things, I'm I'm very more on the outliner. You know, yeah, like for I, sure, I have very detailed plans. But actually, when it comes to the writing and I say yeah, details of the world, I suppose one of the things I like is it just the it, just for the sort of um, so while I keep a quite tight control on the story. Sometimes the setting itself can, you know, it's like, well, actually, I'm just going to try and push my imagination and make this, you know, describing this hive world or this piece of the city or this whatever, you know, that's where I can have some more free reign. That's the stuff that's outside the codexes. That's the bits where Black Library excels, I think, where you can talk about very specific things um, and how they, you know, uh, how they're very different, you know, so being able to talk about, you know, with my path to the Eldar stuff and some of the other Eldar stuff I've done recently, trying try to do stuff that wouldn't try to write places that, that would hopefully inspire people to think, oh, that's cool, I can make that, or that's an yeah. idea for a battlefield, or, well, you know, here's, here's something that doesn't get covered in the in the kind of fairly, you know, the, there's limitations on what goes in the codex because it all comes around collecting an army and putting troop types into boxes that people can collect and things. Yeah. Whereas actually when it comes to writing a story, you can as long as those elements are there, so it's recognisably connected to that game, then invent a load of more crazy stuff around it. Um, is one of the things that we can do. We can kind of push that as authors. Well, um, Gav, uh, 
I know you got Blood Bowl to play very soon here, so you need to get ready for that. But now it's perfect. Don't want to pull a muscle or anything. Yeah, you got to stretch. What is okay? What is the fascination of these English people that like American football? Although it's not really American. I mean, your, your Blood Bowl is American football. That's all yes, there is to that's it. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was your inspiration for originally. But it was it was at a time. I, I've got. It's interesting because I think I'm uh, in the eighties over here when when it kind of NFL. I mean, I'm sure it might have been broadcast early, but particularly there's a channel here, Channel Four, I think it was, started broadcasting NFL games and highlights and stuff. And I remember at the time, so I was twelve, thirteen, I think, um, and so it was really new, you know. Uh, never seen it before and it was just cool because it's these big guys in armor smacking the hell out of each other and there's mm-hmm. a ball involved somewhere so um so there's a whole generation i think of of people of my particular age that experienced this new very you know it was the 80s so again kind of big and brash and american was very in <laughs> in terms of what people liked and, and kind of hollywood movies and all the rest of it so that's not the um, way it is right now <laughs> no, well no it's not it's not it's true but um uh and so I think as a generation, we've kind of got, you know, then, and then as part of that, Blood Bowl was created. Jervis yeah. Johnson, who wrote it, was, you know, again, he was into American football as a, as a, as an Englishman. Something. So actually, and because Warhammer's always been tongue in cheek uh, and slightly digging at its source material in a, in a slightly parody way, Blood Bowl was a parody of this kind of fancy football and, oh. uh, and, and kind of, uh, take on the NFL and, and American football was a great idea. And, and there's lots of us of that age. It, it just kind of borrowed into our psyche of like, cool, actually yeah. it's an American football game and it's a fantasy game. It's these two things that we both love as a teenager coming together. Uh, and we're all now of an age, actually, that this is probably a perfect time for it to be re-released. Yeah. Um, so we're all getting to go back and, and revisit that. But also... You know, again, there's a resurgence and interest. The NFL runs games at Wembley Stadium now. There's like two, mm-hmm. two or three a season now, isn't there? Yeah. Of essentially um, full season NFL games in the UK. Um, so I think it's kind of it's still the mixture. It's still exotic. You know, that's the thing. It's still it's not it's American football. It's yes. not just football. It's American, and that's the important bit about what made it cool. I think you know. Yeah, because I can imagine they're blood bowl being uh a football game soccer in america right that would be yeah, yeah. baseball would, would be terrible yeah that would be guild ball <laughs> as far as i understand in terms of the other guild ball seems to be much more european football rugby they could have done rugby they could have done rugby but there's something he said about like the exoticness the foreignness the the armor and yeah, yeah it's the it armor, lends yeah. itself it lends itself yeah, yeah. they're like gladiators exactly. spiked armor the look is very important, you know. So, because yeah. I see Lyle Alzado, the veins on his on his temples, you know, pulsing out and throbbing with with horse steroids. Yeah, as he's <laughs> you know ripping apart a running back. Uh, yeah, that's totally that's a black orc. You know, that's a <laughs> you know that's an ogre right there. Yeah. So, um, just recently, you had a James R. book come out. I correct? did. Yes. And it's all the, this. all the all the uh, in particular the, the the Eldar series that you worked on, um, I think that has been received very nicely by a lot of the Eldar Eldar fans and, and players out there. 
Um, and you, uh, so that stuff is out right now and can be purchased at your, your local Barnes and Noble or from the black <laughs> library website. Yeah. Yes. There's uh, I think it's sort of, um, yeah, there's the very, obviously for people who feeling flushed, there's a very nice limited edition, less than 350 copies left, uh, but there's a hardback. And then I think, uh, probably in about three months, four months time, the paperback will be out, but it's, um, I'm really pleased with the way it's turned out, actually. It's a really cool story. Uh, well, stories, because it's part of it set during the fall and part of it set at a later period. Which is, <laughs> in my head, I was calling it sort of like the present-day storyline, but it actually th- takes place before the Horus Heresy. The present-day storyline takes place before the Horus Heresy. Mm. Well, so, which is the cool thing you get to do with the Eldar, really. It's like, yes. yeah, we'll move it forward. There's a thousand years between these two stories, and, and the humans haven't even got around to their civil war yet. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, guys, um, the yeah, all the stuff, and he, 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 we expect more in the coming months. Three books a year, it sounds like, is what he said. Uh, <laughs> Roughly that, yeah, yeah. Plus others. It just you know, as you uh, you know, when you're picking up the book, you're reading it. Uh, and just think about you know, um, when he wrote this, he could have been just dropped his kid off to nursery. And had breakfast, <laughs> yeah. and he sat down and wrote that particular sentence. Yeah, with uh, you know, just who That's knows true. what he was doing when that was being written. He could have been <laughs> peeing outside somewhere. He could have been peeing outside in Chiswick. <laughs> <laughs> That's All right. right. So yeah, everybody knows you know where they can go to get to get those things. It's it's a uh, it's not very difficult to to pick up any of your books. So. Yeah. But I assume Black Library would be a pretty good uh, a pretty good first good, stop. Good start, yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, if people want to to know more about what I'm up to, or then you know, I have a website www.gavthorpe.co.uk, um, and in particular, people there can sign up for my newsletter, which is a monthly newsletter, has a bit about what I'm working on and what I've been doing, and Kickstarters that I recommend and stuff. But also, every other month, I do a prize draw. Mm. Um, so one lucky subscriber will, will win, you know, it's either a book or an audio or something like that. So uh, we had the James R. prize draw last month, but um, the next next prize draw is from my original fantasy trilogy, The Empire of the Blood, which was published by Angry Robot a few years ago. So, um, yeah, and you can, you know, in between interviews, <laughs> if everyone knows what I'm doing, that's a good way. Well, that you heard it here, folks. If you want to catch up more on what he's doing, gavthorpe.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the newsletter. I see a lot of writers have their newsletters, but I'm not quite... I'm like, I don't necessarily... I, I, don't, I don't need to see your newsletter. Except for maybe William Gibson. I might <laughs> sign up for William Gibson's newsletter, but I don't believe he has a newsletter. And if he does have a newsletter, I'm pretty sure it's the publishing house doing it for him but if i you know if i know it's actually the author i feel much more okay with it you know yeah Um, well that's definitely me you say there's you know there's a bit about what i'm doing but also you know because it's like a bit i try to make sure there's a mix of stuff i have um for instance i've like a, a suggested submissions so like if i've come across a submissions window or an anthology that's kind of commissioning writers and stuff and I'll share that. Like I said, I've got a Kickstarter, either one I've backed or one that's out that people mm. might not have seen. Um, usually gaming, but sometimes sort of a comic or um, <laughs> sort of an anthology. And then, yeah, just what I've been up to and the Q&As and all that sort of thing. So, 
Well, it's just a way of keeping in touch with people. Well, Gav, we, we, we wish you luck with the uh, the final reveal of the uh, David Gabriel Legends Award. Uh, and thank we you. thank you for for spending your time with us <clears throat> this afternoon. Yes. <clears throat> and um, You are welcome. Hope it was fun. <laughs> it was fun for us. And uh, maybe down the road we can get you back in and we can we can shoot the shit more. We can certainly do that, yes. Yes. So let you get more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. And now the time has gone away. Thank you for listening today. Blake and Ed. They want to thank you. Evil Ed, you better Listen up this day Cause Blake and Ned are talking 40k You know the motto Is life is always Sweeter